Welcome to The Conversation. I'm Heil Russell. And I'm Dustin Jackson. Welcome back to the show, Dustin. I hope you have recovered since the last time you were on when we talked for four hours about Donkey Kong's living arrangements. Uh, we'll see. You know, I might slip back into it. You know, I haven't quite gotten it all. I know we talked about it for four hours, but I feel like I still have at least two more hours in my system. I know. I feel like we let people down because, you know, it sounds impressive when you say I talked about Donkey Kong's <laughs> tree houses for four hours. <laughs> but then you start to wonder, could I have done it for five hours? Could I have done it for six hours? Is this really the definitive statement one can make about Donkey Kong's private residencies domiciles is it really like the final take on it or could can there be so much more and then that haunts you that eats away at you that keeps you up at night and makes you feel like a fucking fraud yeah yeah i mean i can relate that's how i've been feeling (laughs) so we'll, we'll try to put it aside though those feelings of inadequacy the feelings that we we could have done more. We're gonna have we're gonna have to table that because we're gonna be talking about something completely different on this episode of the conversation because it is sort of an odd time to be a Donkey Kong fan, is it not? Uh, Boy, we know it. It's as weird as it gets, Hyle. I've never felt weirder. Well, we know something big is on the horizon. For young Master Donkey Kong, I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know why I'm his butler all of a sudden. But you know, something big is coming. We've got a lot of stuff in the works. Obviously, the theme park, the rumored movie, and of course the game. But until we actually get there, there's basically radio silence from Nintendo. That's just the way they operate. They don't talk stuff up. If there's no immediate game to talk about, if, if there's nothing that they're ready to market, they kind of just don't bring up a series unless it may meet Mario and Pokemon, you know, um, sort of sort of like evergreen stuff. Donkey Kong is not really included in that aside from tangentially. So, yeah, it's it just it just seems kind of. Like, nothing is happening on the Donkey Kong side of things. And we're in an uncomfortable holding pattern as a result, even though we know there's lots of good stuff on the horizon. But this isn't the first time that this has happened. And believe it it or not, there was a summer remarkably similar to this. During the height of Donkey Kong's glory days... Right after the crest of Donkey Kong Country Mania, there was a lull not too dissimilar from this one. And I'm talking about the summer of 1997, when many of us, your co-host included, expected Rare's Donkey Kong game for the Nintendo 64 to be announced at that E3. And instead... 
they revealed two new animal mascot platformers instead. So in this episode, we are taking a look back at a very unique sliver of time in the Donkey Kong universe fandom. A look back at Banjo-Kazooie and Conker before Diddy Kong Racing's reveal. Before we knew them as part of the DKU. And the odd few months where, believe it or not, they posed a threat to Donkey Kong fans. So, it will, <laughs> I, I know we honor these anniversaries by five. When, whenever we get new, like a, a new game anniversary. Oh, it's the 25th anniversary of Diddy Kong Racing coming up this November. Obviously, that's going to be a big deal for DK Vine. Oh, oh, it's it's going to be the 25th anniversary of Banjo-Kazooie next year. But we never honor these anniversaries of nebulous periods of time before the game came out. But I feel like before we reach the end of August, we needed to acknowledge this period. This period where Banjo-Kazooie and Conker were not part of the DKU, at least to our knowledge, where they were just these weird new rivals for Rare's affection. And uh, I, I, I want to take some time and, and look at that. I, I think that would be very interesting and fun, especially, you know, 25 years later where Banjo-Kazooie and Conker are sort of the the two pillars alongside Donkey Kong that really hold up the DKU as we know it. So that'll be fun. But first, I want to talk, Dustin, about Landshark Beer. Okay, I'm down for that. Now, do I like Jimmy Buffett's Landshark Island-style lager? Well, it's the only beer I have in my refrigerator. So does that tell you anything? Yes. When I'm recording a podcast about vague Donkey Kong-centric things in a shared universe that some people claim doesn't even exist, nothing wets my coconut telegraph like the watery, yellow liquid of Jimmy Buffett. And while Mr. Buffett isn't underwriting the podcast, nor is he aware of our existence, I like to think that my kind words will reach him, much like the dolphins carried Jollymon into the stars. Am I right, Jimmy? And then he'll give us, you know, money. <laughs> Thank you. Landshark beer. It's definitely something they sell in stores. Well, I'm sold. Oh, yeah, that's... That tastes like something. All right, yeah. Now, until... <laughs> until Jimmy Buffett gets the memo that he needs to start writing us checks... I do rely on the generous contributions of our patrons. It's the only thing that keeps DK Vine's lights on. And believe you me, the electricity bills are through the roof during the hot months of summer. So please check out DK Vine's Patreon at patreon.com forward slash DK Vine. You probably won't regret it. If you enjoy Donkey Kong journalism, or even if you don't enjoy what we do, but you acknowledge the fact that there needs to be Donkey Kong journalism, and I'm the only one who's really going to bat for that, you'll want to go to DK Vine's Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash DK Vine. Yep. 
<laughs> all right all thank right. you everybody I feel like that was a good pitch i feel i feel like people are uh you know they don't open up their checkbooks anymore unless they're you know senior citizens uh yeah heil if if i was there with you i would give you all the money in my pocket you want to guess how much money is in my pocket right now uh i'm gonna guess no money but some cr- uh like pringle crumbs that's very true yeah. How did you know? You nailed it. Because I've, I've, I heard you eating Pringles before we were starting uh, the podcast. I'm, I made sure to get the Pringles out of the way. <laughs> it's, it's no longer Pringle time. You know, I, I bet, popped and the party can stop. I bet Pringles would go great with Jimmy Buffett's Landshark Island style lager. Oh, what a combo. What a, what a, what a TJ combo that would be. Oh, you know what? You are the master of keeping it on brand. How can they say no to giving us money now? Totally juicy combo. (laughs) Landshark and Pringles. All right. Dustin. Hello. Dustin, where were you in the summer of 97? So, I... Probably could not have been farther from Donkey Kong and the encroaching DKU. I did not have a Nintendo system at the time. I didn't have a Super Nintendo or a Nintendo 64. I was a Sega boy. Oh, I was going to say, what, were you Amish or something? But you were a Sega boy? (laughs) I was a Sega boy. When I was a wee lad, my parents got me a Sega Genesis and Sonic 2 for my birthday one year. Oh, you're one of those. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> I was one of those. Um, and I was so in love with this little blue man. Um, <laughs> however, I I did know about Donkey Kong Country. I saw it in Toys R Us, and I, I wanted it so bad. And my cousin had a Super Nintendo in Donkey Kong Country, so I knew what they were. I was opening up uh, Toys R Us catalogs and drawing the characters from the box arts. Um, but... I couldn't, I really couldn't experience it, so I wasn't, I wasn't, like, getting Nintendo Power, I wasn't, I didn't have my finger on the pulse of, uh, upcoming video games. I didn't know what a Banjo-Kazooie or a Conker were until they had already debuted in Diddy Kong Racing, so all of this, this whole time period we're gonna be talking about is a mystery to me. I, I was eight years old at the time, and Nintendo was just not really a factor in young Dustin's life. Yeah, believe it or not, I, I do actually do prep work before we do these episodes. And that's part of the reason I actually wanted Dustin on this episode, because I n- know like he is pure in his brain when it comes to viewing Banjo and Conker as as these artifacts of Diddy Kong Racing, since that's how they were kind of introduced to him. And and I want to have that contrast with how I was introduced to him. The journey I went on is actually far different from the journey I think most people would, would have gone on, at least of this contemporary time period, where Diddy Kong Racing came first. And unless you read the magazines, you you read the industry scuttlebutt, then you wouldn't have known that Banjo-Kazooie and Conker's Quest, as it was known at the time, were in development, were on their way, were actually announced 
in June of 97. So, yeah, that, that's the reason you're here, Dustin. I know you had some sort of trepidations about being the co-host on this one, but it was by design. For one thing, I am the oldest one on DK Vine, being the wow. co-founder and everything. I, I'm the oldest staff member. And uh, so it's going to be hard for me to find people with my shared experiences, you know, have, having been there from the start as a cognizant preteen um and and i was like really invested in it from the start like from donkey on country i was like all on board i I, you know i made that vow on my donkey on country cartridge that i will follow this series until my dying day and uh i I didn't realize the twists and turns that would take me you know i i didn't realize (laughs) you know royston would be a thing i i didn't i didn't foresee anything I didn't, I didn't foresee having to like devise Waluigi rules and, and tracky train clauses <laughs> and, and, and like the whole weird journey that I've been on in the past 23 years, give or take. So Holy crap, it's been that long. Yeah, so yeah, th- th- that's why you're here because I know you weren't in the same place I was in the summer of 97. I didn't realize you were a Genesis kid. But, uh, yeah, it, it's odd, you know, looking back at what was ground zero of the DKU, because you would think I would have been super jazzed about Banjo-Kazooie and Conqueror's Quest. I was obviously a huge fan of Rare. I, you know, Donkey Kong Country and Donkey Kong Country 2 and Donkey Kong Country 3. Donkey Kong Land and Donkey Kong Land 2. Uh, but, you know, I, I'd also played, you know, Killer Instinct. And um, I think at, at this point, uh, Blast Core. I still haven't played Blast Core. I would rent it later that summer. Um, but, you know, I... I- I did play Rare's uh, arcade games without even knowing they were Rare. Like, I didn't even make the connection to Donkey Kong Country, but... At the time, there was an arcade, like, right nearby my house that had both Killer Instinct and Battletoads. Yeah. And I, I didn't even have that rare connection yet, and I still enjoyed both of them. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously I played a lot of rare games on the original Nintendo Entertainment System. I just didn't know what rare was at the time. It wasn't until they launched that rareware branding with Donkey Kong Country that, you know, it, it really, like, solidified who they were as a studio. Because I didn't know they made Battletoads. I didn't know they made RC Pro-Am and all of these weird games for the NES that, you know, more licensed games you wouldn't really associate with Rare. Like, Donkey Kong Country upped their game as a studio. Uh, it, yeah, Battletoads was their own thing, but I think as far as, like, a new benchmark for quality and, and knowing that rare and the rare logo meant quality. Uh, it really did start with Donkey Kong Country. But, you know, I, I, I was a fan of rare, but I think more or less I was a fan of rare because of Donkey Kong Country. And so Donkey Kong came first, you know, in my love. I, I, I would put Donkey right. Kong before rare. And it's just weird that, yeah, these two new rare platformers 3d platformers were announced and i was heartbroken (laughs) i was heartbroken (gasps) over banjo kazooie and conquer 
And I suppose somewhere in there is an important life lesson to be had, which we'll get into. But, you know, seeing as how this is the 25th anniversary of a very odd and peculiar summer in DKU fandom, I, I, I think that it is time to really dedicate an entire episode about this. Because I have talked about this various points throughout the conversation's history, but I've never really just set the time aside to say, hey, we're going to discuss the time when I was threatened by Banjo-Kazooie in Conqueror's (laughs) Quest, when I thought it bode ill omens for Donkey Kong, which is ridiculous because it's like, oh, I, I, I don't know, like, you know, I, I'm I'm a I'm a big fan of uh, Breaking Bad, um, and uh, you know, Better Call Saul, it's spinoff, which is wrapping mm. up. But it would be like me saying, like, when it, when they introduce the Saul Goodman character in Breaking Bad, oh, I don't know how I feel. Like, oh, I think this is going to really detract from the story of Walter White. I don't really like this. Uh, uh, <laughs> like, it, it's 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 weird. But we didn't know there was going to be a connection at the time. So that that's that's the big difference. But I feel like I need to really set the stage uh, and really like explain to the young folk out there, the dewy newborns, why why Banjo Kazooie <laughs> in Conqueror's Quest felt like a slap across the face when they were announced because this seems ludicrous Ooh. for me to say you know they're they're two of my favorite video game series right next to Donkey Kong so i think it's all because of expectations because there was industry scuttlebutt that Donkey Kong for the Nintendo Ultra 64 as we knew it was coming I mean, this this started almost as soon as Donkey Kong Country was launched in 1994. There there were there was talk uh like unsupported talk, but talk nonetheless about Donkey Kong for the upcoming NU64 as as we knew it back then. And I think the rumors really started to pick up though in late 1995 right after Donkey Kong right. Country 2 was launched. Because I, I I know it was erroneously reported by, I think, a few video game, like, gossip magazines and, and some other sources. I heard about it at the time that Rare had already begun work on Donkey Kong for the Nintendo Ultra 64. And we know Donkey Kong 64 did have a long and convoluted development history. I, I mean, I, I think, you know... There, there's a whole documentary that could be made about that. There's a story that hasn't been told about DK64's tumultuous development, but uh, I know it. You know, there's no way that it actually started work on it before work was started on Donkey Kong Country Three. But being a kid in the U.S. without any actual sources at Rare. And, and keep in mind, this was also before we could write into Lee Loveday. You couldn't do that in 1995. You couldn't just, you know, send a letter to Scribes and be like, hey, you working on Donkey Kong for the N64? Uh, <laughs> Get back to it. Yeah, you, you couldn't do that. So you were just totally reliant upon this uh, 
industry like publications, these like, third party sources. Um, and there were a lot of video game magazines on newsstands at the time. Like everybody remembers Game Pro, Electronic Gaming Monthly, but there were also like various ones nobody remembers. Size maybe like retro mag, you know. Uh, but just just like fly by night operations that probably had no more insight than I did, but because they were actually published and available in newsstands, you kind of held it up as gospel truth, right? So yeah, obviously these people know what they're talking about. They wouldn't just <laughs> right. print print them just spouting things willy nilly. Yeah, and I, I, I like I distinctly remember like being at the grocery store or or wherever like Super Walmart or, or you know where, wherever whatever places I frequented back then and like going to the newsstand like this was when my mom would just let me like wander off into the store and look at stuff and I had to meet her back somewhere but you know I, I would pick up the magazines and I would thumb through them looking for news on Donkey Kong games and um yeah they would they would routinely have like gossip corners where they could just print unverified bullshit probably and and you know <laughs> but but you believed it to be true because this was an actual magazine that i could read and, and so surely they must know what's up yeah and the one so, that comes to mind for me is uh do you remember tips and tricks magazine mm-hmm so I have a mouthful um, of land shark beer, but yes, I do. Uh, so as a small child, that was that opened up such a huge world to me. This magazine had Sonic Two cheats, and they all worked. So boy, when I got one of their issues saying you could get Yoshi in Pokemon Red and Blue, I was so excited and believed every last <laughs> word they said. Yeah, I I remember Nintendo's uh, website had an April Fool's joke where you could get Luigi in Pokemon Red and Blue. Yeah, I remember that one. That one, I was like, well, that's just the silliest thing I've ever heard, but I've got to do it. And then I realized it was April Fool's Day, and I felt mad at myself for briefly believing it. (laughs) It's a holiday that makes fools of us all. But yeah, I mean, I believe this. And so for the longest time, even... After I started DK Vine, I was under this notion, this impression that work on Donkey Kong 64, as we would eventually know it, actually began in late 1995. And it's only after, you know, talking with people at Rare and understanding the true development history that I know that's not the case. But, yeah, I I, I thought it was going to be coming, and it was probably going to be released in 1997, because that would allow them to release a Donkey Kong Country 3 for the Super Nintendo in 1996. And I, at least I was right about that. I, I predicted <laughs> there would be a Super Nintendo trilogy. And there was. And there was a Game Boy trilogy, too. Good job. Yeah. But, you know, aside from those uh, shifty gossip rags that were, you know, unofficial, Nintendo Power was basically my lifeline for all things Nintendo and Rare in those days. And that's all well and good, but that also fed into this idea that Nintendo Power knew something about Donkey Kong for the Nintendo 64 that they weren't telling us. 
um, there, there was their, the subscriber edition of their New Year's 1996 issue. It had a gatefold cover. It said, Happy New Year. And new was N-U, you know, Nintendo Ultra. It's 1996. Ooh, that's clever. Nintendo Ultra 64 was launching in uh, 1996. And so, you know, you, you open up this gatefold, and there is... Dustin, I provided you an image of this so you can uh, so you can see it. But there were all these like Nintendo Ultra sixty four consoles. There was the controller. There were weirdly enough cubes with screenshots similar to the GameCube's promotional campaign, uh, like half a decade later. But on the N sixty four controller, in the very middle of the gatefold, there is in shadow Diddy Kong. Giving a thumbs oh. up and looking at these screenshots in Nintendo Ultra 64 consoles, almost as if to say, "Yeah, Donkey Kong is coming for the NU64. We just can't show it yet. <laughs> it's shrouded in shadow and mystery." So it it kind of became, I, I I don't know, just an assumption that. 1996 would be the year we would maybe get Donkey Kong Country 3, hopefully Donkey Kong Land 2, but, you know, Super Mario 64, Pilot Wings, that would be the focus of the new console, and Donkey Kong would arrive on the NU64 in 1997. And, and just be, this just became ingrained, like, knowledge Nothing really to go off except the rumors, right? But this had been percolating in my brain since late 1995 that in two years' time, we would get Donkey Kong World or Universe or whatever they would call this amazing follow-up to the DKC trilogy on you know th- this new hardware generation. We would get this amazing 3D version of Donkey Kong Country. So... When 1997 actually hit, we got Donkey Kong Country 3 uh, in the autumn of 96. And and I just remember, like, the, the wait. The, the, the wait for um, news to break. And um, I, I guess by that point, I knew what E3 was. Because, again, Nintendo Power had sort of already built up E3 as this mythical event in my brain. Uh, E3 95 was the first E3. That was where Donkey Kong Country 2 was launched. That was actually my first issue of Nintendo Power, was the Donkey Kong Land issue, where they also did an article on the very first E3. So, like, that was my introduction to E3. And then E3 96, you know, they they did a big issue for that. And that was where Donkey Kong Country 3 and Land 2 were announced. So I was waiting for that E3 1997 issue of Nintendo Power. Like, I was waiting for it in January of 97. I was like, all right, let's do this. (laughs) (laughs) I'm ready. Come on. Hurry up. Let's get this show on the road. It's already, it's already January. Yeah. And, you know, as our friend Josh the Geek Critique Wallen will will tell you whenever he's on the show, when you're a kid, time moves much, much slower than when oh, you're an I adult. 
Yeah, when you're an adult, it's basically like sipping the wrong grail in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. You just turn into a skeleton, a, a skeleton <laughs> person before people's eyes. But when you're a kid, a month is, is basically the equivalent of like three months when you're an adult. And so the wait was excruciating. Because I was sure that Donkey Kong for the Nintendo 64, as we then knew it, because it was already out, they had already made the the name Universal, or or at least like Global, I guess, you know, it it could still be the Nintendo Ultra 64 on Neptune. I haven't really checked with our (laughs) listeners on Neptune, but it was was the Nintendo 64 at that point had been launched that that September in uh, North America. So I, I thought for sure that Donkey Kong for the N64 was going to be announced at E397, which that year was held June 19th to the 21st in Atlanta, Georgia, after E3 failed to procure the LA Convention Center. So I think they were in Atlanta for two years, and then they like just moved back to LA, and they've been in LA ever since. But yeah, it was just this this weird blip in time where E3 was on the East Coast uh, in, in Georgia. And this was also the first June E3, because the two before that were held in mid-May. And actually, the nine after this one, the nine E3s after E3-97 were also in May. And and then I wow. think there, there, there were a couple years where E3 was in July, of all things. It wasn't <laughs> until E3 2009 that E3 set up shop in mid-June, which is, I think we all sort of know it as just this mid-June tradition at this point. But but E3's kind of bounced over late spring to, like, mid-summer, um, I mean, in, in the Northern Hemisphere, at least, um, across its, you know, 27 years of existence. Yeah, um, I gotta be honest, I feel like I would enjoy E3 a little more in May, when it's not quite so hot. Oh, I, I like the hotness of E3. I you like kind of it. associate it with it? Yeah, like, I gotta get in the AC to get out of the heat, and I gotta look at <laughs> video game news. When you're actually in Los Angeles, it's a dry heat. Like, it, it's very hot, but it's not humid, so mm-hmm. it's a little bit more bearable in L.A., um, but yeah, when you're at home, you know, I just associate, you know, E3 with going on a, on a, on a warm, but not too hot bear hike in the early morning. Of course, this year I, I nearly suffered from hypothermia, but, um, and then, you know, getting in the AC, but I mean, could you imagine mid July E3? I, I don't know how people did that. <laughs> Oh, man, that's back in the age of the Flintstones. We've evolved so far from that. I think that was, like, in the, like, early to mid-Wii era when I was at my most detached from video game news, so... Oh, so you weren't really affected that much by it. No. I I, I knew E3 was happening. I was like, oh, it's in July. That's weird. Oh, well. (laughs) But anyway, this, this was, at the time, the latest... E3 was ever held out of all three of them. So it meant I had to wait longer for the Nintendo Power to summarize everything that had been announced at that E3. And, you know, this was 1997, let me explain. So this is my personal experience, but other people were online and getting the news as it happened. But 
1997 was this awkward transition transitionary period because my parents uh, had tried out America Online in 1996, and then when our free trial expired, they were like, "That's it." Because back back then, America Online, which was how most people in America got online. After your free trial period extended, you had, like, so many free hours, okay? And then uh-huh. you would be charged. I think every minute you were online, your bill would go up. Wow. Can, you know, like, like, yeah. That, ugh, like, what? <laughs> what? That's, a dial up. That's how <laughs> dial-up worked. And, um, yeah. So my, my parents were like, forget it. No way. It's not worth it. And so I was offline in 1997 after getting a taste of of the the majesty that is the internet in 96 and then uh in 1998 i think aol or maybe they maybe changed it before then but finally i finally was able to convince my parents hey they changed their billing you now just pay a flat fee and you can be online for as long as you want you're still gonna you know clog up the phone lines but at least you won't get any bad news then you won't get any telemarketers <laughs> We need to be online, <laughs> mom and dad. This is going to be the future. They didn't believe me. It's like, I, if I'm going to be a Donkey Kong journalist, I need to be online ASAP before somebody else starts a Donkey Kong website. <laughs> I'm just picturing a uh, little Heil making like his own little magazines, like his own little newspaper he gives out to people. That just was drawing like- on pieces of paper. I, <laughs> all right, all right. So I, in my fantasies, uh, probably like 95, 96, I imagined starting a Donkey Kong. I guess it would be a fanzine. Uh, I, I didn't know what a fanzine was, but I imagined like a newsletter that I would have subscribers and I would mail out this newsletter to people who are fans of Donkey Kong Country. And then uh, I like made up some mock-ups um, in my spare time, just like with, you know, pencils. I, I just made up oh, a mock-up. Wow. I did probably like five of them <laughs> monthly, <laughs> monthly editions just to get it out of my system it's like my brain was on fire i had to just expel this energy somehow so <laughs> that's that was, cool i that's still like a cool creed i never would have thought to do like a zine honestly that that's that's like the the earliest like it, it's like demo recordings for dk <laughs> <I guess>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but uh yeah, I was finally able to convince them in 1998. Uh, I guess they had saw some news report that, like, being online is going to be, like, what people do in the 21st century. You don't want to be left behind, Grandpa. And so my, my dad was probably <laughs> like, yeah, all right, well, well, we'll pay this flat fee, but you have to limit your time because we can't, you know, can't keep the phone lines, you know, busy at all you know so this is before cell phones too <laughs> we're like common right phone. so you had landlines and jesus it's so mm. archaic it's it's like it is ugh. how did we survive i was there with you i i had american america online i was on there all the time looking up uh news on the sonic the hedgehog comic looking up <laughs> sonic fan games people are making <laughs> uh and having my mom be like get off so we can make calls and i would be like oh but you have to admit it was the most thrilling feeling that whole dial up sound that that feeling of i it's it's happening i'm ge- i'm getting on the internet 
And then you would finally get on there and be like, welcome. And you're like, yeah, like this is magical. Mail. Right. Anyway, uh, wasn't until 1998 that I got permanently on the internet. So the only way for me to follow E3 was for me to read about it in magazines. And because E3 had been held in May up until this point, I thought I would get this info on Donkey Kong for the N64 in the June issue of Nintendo Power. But no, I had to wait an entire month for the July issue. Oh, and, no. You know, I mean, but like I said, that's that's an eternity when you're a kid. And throughout the entirety of May and June, I would have dreams, almost nightly dreams, about getting my Nintendo Power in the mail and seeing everything about the amazing new 3D Donkey Kong platformer. I I would have dreams where I would get the magazine in the mailbox, I would rush inside, flip to the E3 section, see these big, gorgeous screenshots that weren't, you know, they were still grainy, but, you know, as clear as we expected screenshots to be in magazines back in the day, of Donkey Kong swinging through a polygonal jungle on a vine. He'd be swinging through it. I, I remember this image I had in my brain of this hypothetical Donkey Kong 64. And I would have almost nightly dreams about it. It got to, this, to the point where when my magazine, when I was expecting the magazine to arrive that week and it wasn't there in the mail, I would just go to my dark place. Like, I, like the world would just dim all color would be oh, sapped no. from everything. Yeah, yeah. And, and it'd be, you know, it's not like, oh, well, I guess it'll come tomorrow. Like like you are when you're an adult. It's like, this is the worst thing that could possibly happen to me. <laughs> I have to wait another day for my Nintendo Power. And then, of course, you get your June issue and you find out that E3 uh, is actually happening uh, a little bit later, in a couple of weeks, and so they won't have news about it until the July issue. Oh my god! Oh no! I'm just picturing a little baby Heil in his little sailor suit, uh, just inconsolable, a big pouty <laughs> frown on his face. Yeah, your little sailor suit. Even your comically oversized lollipop can't put a grin on your face. I wasn't a toddler. I wasn't Shirley Temple. What are you doing to me? <laughs> <laughs> oh no, that's uh, yeah. I mean, you were you were the age you were. You you don't have to be a little toddler to wear your little sailor suit. <laughs> I just it was summer, and you know I wanted to dress like a sailor. <laughs> you just wanted to look your best. And look, the lollipop is just because yeah, there's, it's sweet and sticky, just the way I like it. <laughs> Everyone loves lollipops. <laughs> So, June became July, Dustin, and I got my issue. Finally, I got the E3 issue, and they had E3 on the cover. Like, you knew, it because it, it said, spectacular 17-page E3 insider scoop with three exclamation marks on this Nintendo Wow, power. that's how you knew they were serious. This, this was the Star Fox 64 issue, by the way. Star Fox 64 was the cover article. It's a shake, rumble, and roll because you know it introduced the rumble pack, and uh, Ooh. 
But of course, I didn't really give a shit about Star Fox 64 because I wanted news <laughs> on Donkey Kong World or, or Donkey Kong Universe. Whatever it would be called, because it wouldn't be called Donkey Kong 64, because Rare isn't that tacky or hacky. Oh, of course not. So, obviously, by the time I got this July issue, E3 had happened. It happened June 19th to the 21st. Uh, So, I, I was like, probably two weeks, a week and a half to two weeks behind. Uh, Anybody who was actually there at the show... Or anybody who was online, whose parents, you know, weren't tightwads. Um, So, I would have known that, of course, Donkey Kong hadn't been revealed. That instead, Rare showed off Banjo-Kazooie and Conker's Quest. But, like, seeing the actual photos of this E3 is, is something else these days. Because... Nintendo, on their show floor, they had these statues uh, on, like, these pillars. Uh, As you walked into their show floor, they had these statues of all of these prominent characters um, from Nintendo and Rare, many of whom would be featured prominently at this show. And I I tweeted this the other day, actually. There's this, this great shot of... Four of the statues all lined up next to each other. You've got Conker from Conker's Quest, Fox McCloud from Star Fox 64, Banjo and Kazooie from Banjo Kazooie, and Donkey Kong from nothing that year except Mario Kart 64. Uh, he wasn't Isn't that even crazy. They have a statue of him and no game to go with him. Yeah, he wasn't even going to be in Donkey Kong Land 3, like at all. <laughs> But he was there because he was still a pretty prominent fixture uh, of Nintendo's marketing at the time. But yeah, you have the, the, these four statues. And how surreal is it that we had the entire leading lineup of the DKU, of the spinoff era, on display at the E3 that basically foreshadowed it. That, that was basically the ground floor for it. You know what my favorite thing about this photo is? What's that? Mario is also in this picture, but he's below the others. <laughs> he's been he's beneath Conquer. Yeah, he's uh <laughs> Step move over Mario. <laughs> move over Mario. Conquer is the Nintendo mascot of the future. <laughs> I think Fulgore was also there uh to the right of Donkey Kong and then of course there's a giant mumbo jumbo uh behind these four to kind of welcome you to the Banjo-Kazooie kiosk. but God, um, I wish I could have seen that in person. Imagine seeing just this gigantic mumbo-jumbo. Before you even knew who mumbo-jumbo was, yeah. <laughs> I guarantee, as a small, stupid child, I would have been scared out of my pants at seeing that. <laughs> I don't know what happened to this Donkey Kong statue. Because yeah. this Donkey Kong statue is fantastic. This is basically a life-sized recreation of the the stock renders rare would use for donkey kong from like dkc2 to dk64 just where, where he's kind of like he's kind of got this slightly angry grin about him he's like smiling but he's not really happy about it <laughs> he was forced to take this picture i uh, I, w- I would love this donkey kong statue not that i have room for it but you know 
I would make room for it. I would just get rid of, you know, my sofa. <laughs> we can just all sit around the DK and tell ghost stories. Anyway, yeah, just surreal that the, the DKU was on display, like, years before Fox McCloud would be inserted in a dinosaur planet. Just just funny how they're all lined up together. Anyway. but Yeah, I, who would have guessed? Yeah, so I, I didn't know anything about the statues or the E3 show floor. I only knew what Nintendo Power told me. And honestly, they they would have to have this article ready to go, like, while E3 was happening. So I don't even think they had any show floor, like, images this time around. They had all the information given to them ahead of time so they could have it ready to go. So I flip through the magazine expecting, like, oh, my God, Dustin, my hands were shaking I, I I was like, I was almost blacking out, like, just with the anticipation. Is Donkey Kong going to be in here? I'm ready for Donkey Kong. I can't wait to see Donkey Kong on the N64. Can you imagine how that will revolutionize the video game industry? What Donkey Kong Country did for the Super Nintendo. Oh my god, this is going to be lifelike. This is, this is going to be something like we've never seen before. Everyone on the planet will join hands together in harmony to celebrate this game. So page 51 of Nintendo Power, volume 98, July 1997. The Insider Preview, Nintendo Power's Guide to E3. And there is a very distinctively rare rendered scene to kick this off and it's it's of a jungle (laughs) you know so i see this jungle immediately and i see this hit of brown fur and i'm like oh my god this is it this is it who the fuck is this and i I didn't say fuck (laughs) because i was a well-mannered little lad with my uh sailor suit and everything i i would i would never defile god with with such i would never defile yeah, they don't call me Defile, D-E-F-H-Y-L-E. So, but, but I, I was like, wait a second, this isn't Donkey Kong, this isn't Diddy Kong, this isn't any sort of Kong, this is a bear, and what is this monstrosity coming out of his back? <laughs> and Oh, it's it's a monster, put it away. I don't think I cried, but <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if my eyes welled up just a bit as I very quickly realized Donkey Kong's not being announced, is he? <laughs> oh, then the studio audience goes, oh. So I turn the page thinking, well, well, maybe this is something else. Maybe... Maybe maybe they're going to announce Donkey Kong like on on the second page, or or maybe this is this is part of the new Donkey Kong game, and these are just new characters in the Donkey Kong game. You know, you you don't know. Maybe maybe Donkey Kong will be on the second page, and and it's Banjo and Kazooie yet again in another rendered scene in uh what we would call uh fungi forest, uh or or fungus forest or whatever uh, whatever it's called in. Banjo Kazooie, but it was actually the um, like the early renders of the 
like that were taken from the sort of two and a half D build of Banjo Kazooie. Uh, that, right. Yeah, that we would later see when after Rare Replay came out, we got that video showcasing the evolution of Project Dream. We would then see this actual landscape. Um, contextualized for us for the first time. But this is where a lot of the early renders came from, the rendered scenes of Banjo-Kazooie and Mumbo uh, were, were in this environment. And yeah, here they are in this forest. Banjo's pointing, Kazooie's looking. And I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful rendered scene of this era of Rare that I absolutely adore all of the renders for. But I was like, okay. I, <laughs> I, I don't know what this is, but this isn't Donkey Kong. And then uh, on, the, on the very next page, or actually on like two pages later, uh, they, they kick things off with the section on Rare and what Rare revealed at E397. It was called Rare Gifts. And uh, I, I think I just need to read this, uh, this, this page on Banjo-Kazooie and Conker's Quest. How about I would I, love to hear it. How about I read Banjo and you read Conquer? That sounds dandy. That sounds like a good plan. All right. So th- this is this is the the kickoff to rare gifts right before they get into the reveal of Banjo Kazooie. What makes this developer and its game so special? A lot of competitors would like the answer to that. Rare has been planning for today's world of the N64 for many years. Joel Hochberger and Tim and Chris Stamper, the fearless leadership team at Rare, knew back in the 8-bit era that the future belonged to advanced technology. Really? What a <laughs> what a prediction that was. Wow. They really saw things, they really bet on the right horse. Think outside the box much. <laughs> <laughs> they recognized that a new generation of super games would be required once the new processors were available. Donkey Kong Country was just a taste of what the future had to offer, which you can imagine that really salted my wound. No. <laughs> it's like, oh, Donkey Kong Country was shit compared to this. Get that old grandpa shit out of here. Yeah. Donkey Kong is now Cranky Kong the second, and they both should die. (laughs) At this E3, with the worldwide debut of Banjo-Kazooie, Goldeneye, like anybody's going to care about Goldeneye, and Conqueror's Quest, Rare is finally realizing its dream. Banjo-Kazooie. This is what it says about Banjo-Kazooie, Dustin. Banjo-Kazooie takes a page from Disney in creating a rich animated world full of fun animals and great music. The biggest difference is that Disney never lets you into the picture. In contrast, (laughs) Banjo-Kazooie players control the team of Banjo, in parentheses, a bear, and Kazooie, in parentheses, a bird. As they explore a magical world, each character has specialized functions. So if you want to stomp ants, you use banjo, and if you want to fly around a tower, and if you want to fly around a tower, you use Kazooie. Yes, I've been waiting to fly around a tower. Only if you want to fly around a tower, though. Nothing else. Don't get any ideas now about flying. 
past the tower. Oh, jeez! When you I love when this. you com- when you combine the when you combine the abilities of bird and bear, you get the most versatile video game hero slash heroes ever. But the world in which the duo travels is even more impressive than the innovative game design, rich textures, creative lighting, and the use of the N64's powerful anti-aliasing LOD management, LOD management, and other features results in an almost cinematic image. Combine this with music that changes subtly as they move through the world and animated characters who seem as alive as any Disney character. And you have a remarkable game. Banjo-Kazooie is slated for a fall release in North America, and is guaranteed to be a monster hit on the scale of DKC. Wow. Yeah, it says Banjo-Kazooie, publisher Nintendo, developer Rare Limited, size 128 megabits. Yeah. Complete, 60% release, fall 1997. I I don't know why, but I really like just seeing the complete 60%. It, it feels like, oh, we're hearing about this in the <laughs> middle of Britain. They are working on it right now. And it's, wow. it's over halfway done. I can't believe they're going to get 40% of it done in just the next few months. <laughs> They're, they must be really good at making video games. Yeah, they must have them chained to their desk, like or like on a on a cellar pipe or something. You know, <laughs> they they give them doggy bowls full of water and like five. But, but only if they earn it. Yeah. So we got screenshots here. We've got termite banjo, which you don't know what that is at the time. You're like, whoa, that's just that's just a little little enemy character, I guess. You got banjo running on the uh, the pier of Treasure Trove Cove. You've got banjo and Kazooie flying around the tower of Treasure Trove Cove, which I guess is the the tower <laughs> that Nintendo Power was going on about. And there's the famous tower. And then you have Banjo running by a door, which which we know was from the little test area that that was uh, construed as like the giant's lair or or somewhere in Grunty's lair. Uh, it has like the door knocker that you see in the transformation chamber room that you know tied into a lot of stop and swap theories eventually. But this screenshot was what we kept coming back to. It was like. This must be the area you get to after you open up the door in the transformation chamber room. And then you, you know, you you, you, you can access the new worlds. You know, th- this fed a lot of conspiracy theories eventually. But, yeah, this was, our, this was my introduction. But a lot of people of the time's introduction to Banjo-Kazooie. And, um... Yeah, they really, like, uh... They really hyped, like... Oh, it's like a Disney movie. And, um, they mentioned, like, the the great music, and so I think that puts the idea in my head that maybe Banjo-Kazooie was going to be a musical. <laughs> or, or, like, I thought, like, the characters would break out in a song, which would be, like, a feature of Conquer, I guess, but, uh, yeah, it, it's weird that they hyped up the Disney thing, because I don't really think of Banjo-Kazooie as anything remotely like disney like i know i go on about not watching shrek but i think it's closer in tone to shrek 
and sort of the fractured fairy tale kind of thing than it is anything of Disney in the 90s. Yeah. Um I this is something you still see. I for a long time you still saw stuff like, "Oh, it looks just like a Disney or a Pixar movie." For like uh more modern games like Ratchet and Clank, I saw it uh said, "I I guess I can kind of get that out of Banjo-Kazooie. It's got colorful, cartoony worlds and animal characters, as they like to uh, brag about. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't know, though. It Like, again, like, and Pixar was still, like, early Pixar. They'd done Toy Story and A Bug's Life at this point. And I guess maybe the... I Or, I don't know, when was A Bug's Life? Was that 97? Um, I think so, yeah, 97. That sounds right. Yeah, so I I don't know this this uh, termite I guess looks closer to ants in my opinion than it does a bug's life. So yeah, I that was Banjo Kazooie. Do you want to read the much shorter blurb they have for Conqueror's Quest? I would love to, Heil. Thank you for giving me the shorter one. You're welcome. I know you've had a hard day. <laughs> All right, so Conker's Quest is the working title of a one-player game starring a heroic pair of squirrels that also looks as detailed as an animated film, or perhaps even more so. Conker's Quest will be the first <laughs> title published by Rare under the Rare Nintendo partnership and distributed exclusively by Nintendo. As in Banjo-Kazooie, the action in this game takes place in an open 3D world in which animals are the heroes and villains. Conker and Barry, spelt B-E-R-R-Y, a girl squirrel, scamper about (laughs) solving puzzles and defending themselves with well-placed wax from their bushy tails. A release date for this incredibly rich game has been set for December. Oh, man, Conker's Quest coming out in December 1997. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah. Conker's Quest. And this one says, Conker's Quest, publisher Rare LTD, uh, developer Rare LTD, size undisclosed, complete 40%. Not bad, I suppose. No. forty. I wonder how they determined it was 40% done. well we could probably get about 60 more percent game in there i would say roughly you know yeah we got a few more months (laughs) December. i like how they're like yeah we're gonna get it out a couple weeks after banjo kazooie won't cannibalize sales (laughs) or anything (laughs) perfect this is going very smoothly yeah and it was just like wow rare's doing another game that's not Donkey Kong. And, and, and it, <laughs> another furry animal game that's a 3D platformer. That's not Donkey Kong. And this one, they're actually publishing it themselves. So they have more of a stake in this one than they even do Banjo-Kazooie. And especially more so than Donkey Kong. Oh my god. Oh my goodness gracious. Uh, the screenshots are interesting, though, because you have the early version of Birdie, the Scarecrow, when he still had a pumpkin head. Or what would become Birdie? This must be the really early version, because the, the one I remember seeing, he has like a purple top. Uh, here, he's just got like a white shirt 
and a weird looking face if that's his face yeah and then you've also got conquer in front of the windmill and there's uh all the little sunflowers that did make it into the early part of bad fur day and of course on the pocket tails <laughs> box art they were so proud of those sunflowers they're they are pretty amazing sunflowers and then there's a there's a little little picture of barry running around uh barry with a y according to nintendo power a girl squirrel <laughs> and and you get a nice uh conquer render with his horrifying fingers yeah his his <laughs> his old man fingers and his self-satisfied <laughs> grin uh he's like you like what you see you know you like it, baby. Uh, <laughs> I hate it. Yeah, yeah. Not not the best, uh, not the most appealing <laughs> render. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, so... It's worth pointing out, then, that the next article in the Nintendo Power, after the E397 showcase... Can you, do you want to guess what that was, Dustin? Um, I can take a guess right here. Okay. Without Was looking it at the show a little... notes. <laughs> oh, without looking at the show notes. Well, I already did, so I guess I won't guess. Oh, okay. Because that, that's kind of not <laughs> a guess then. That's just kind of reading. Yoshi story. No, you're wrong. Good guess, though. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was an article explaining this new game that's taking Japan by storm called Pocket Monsters. Wow. Yeah, so the times were a changing. Uh it, it was clear that we were now beyond Donkey Kong Country Mania. Like the Donkey Kong Country trilogy had come and gone and things were changing. Rare was moving on to new games, new ideas, and and there's going to be something coming out possibly in uh the West in just a short amount of time that would Forever upend what it meant to be a Nintendo fan. <sighs> wow. But yeah, the, the entire E3 article was actually N64-centric. They didn't talk about anything else, probably because they had a lot of flop sweat concerning the N64 at the time. Uh, they didn't have a lot of games out for it, and it had been out for almost a year at that point. So they were they were really like hyping the N64, like no no this is all coming and we swear we swear buy an N64. <laughs> yeah, you can play such great games as uh, Space Circus coming in fall '97. <laughs> the only mention Donkey Kong really got in this magazine, aside from maybe an errant mention here or there, was uh, at the very back. Uh, they had a they had a update an otherwise unmentioned update to the release forecast in the back of the magazine confirming that a game called donkey kong land 3 was coming for the game boy that autumn it's very unceremonious no screenshots no blurbs nothing saying hey donkey kong land 3 is coming this autumn just just updated on the release forecast. And that was all I had to go off of. My long wait for the E3 1997 issue of Nintendo Power resulted in an ambiguous blurb. And I was like, I don't know what Donkey Kong Land 3 is going to look like. Is it going to be Dixie and Kitty again? Uh, are they going to replicate Donkey Kong Country 3 to the best of their ability like they did Donkey Kong Land 2? I have so many questions. I have no answers. 
it was it was a time of mystery. Yeah, and it wasn't what I was expecting, not at all. And, and keep in mind, once again, this was before we, anybody outside of Rare and Nintendo, had any concept of Diddy Kong Racing. At press time, it was actually undergoing the said transformation into Diddy Kong Racing from Pro-Am 64, because the seeds for that had actually been planted at this E3 in Atlanta, Georgia. Miyamoto played the game behind closed doors. It wasn't shown, nor was it announced to the press, but Rare showed it off to Nintendo uh, at that show, and that was where the idea started to percolate that, hey... You should put uh, you should put a Donkey Kong character as the lead in this game because uh, because nobody's gonna play a game called Pro Am sixty four starring a tiger named Timber. <laughs> I would have, but I get it. I mean, yeah, I mean, but but when you recontextualize Timber to be Diddy Kong's old friend, then all of a sudden that just becomes much more tantalizing. That's that's true. I also want to be Diddy Kong's friend. I'm jealous of this tiger. Right? I know. Even even though the tiger had his whole island, you know, invaded by an despotic alien pig man, I still envy Timber. <laughs> even though every time Timber's even though every time Timber's going to have his own solo game, it gets, you know, he gets replaced by somebody else. Some other Nintendo character. I'm still envious of Timber. But yeah, I, you know, maybe someday I can be as cool as Timber the Tiger. <laughs> I believe in you, Dustin. I have faith. <laughs> Thanks. We'll see. But it, it was clear to even rare. I think at E3 97, they said as much that Banjo Kazooie probably wouldn't be ready by November. Uh, I, I think I, I it's been said on record that, you know, people on the team were like breaking down hysterically because like they were talking up Banjo Kazooie as, you know, the big Nintendo game for that holiday season. And they knew it wasn't going to be ready. So it's just basically like, oh, we, we've really walked into some shit here, haven't we? And... <laughs> That, that's funny because, you know, Nintendo of America, they were positioning it as that big holiday game. They secured a deal with Taco Bell, $10 million promotional deal to to promote Banjo-Kazooie in Taco Bell restaurants that November. So behind the scenes, I think reality was already catching up and contorting to what we would know and understand it to be. But publicly... There is no sign of Diddy Kong or the rest of the Kongs, and Banjo-Kazooie and Conker were both supposed to come out that holiday season. Oh man, imagine a world. I mean, it, it put me in a funk, Dustin, because... Oh no. I was thinking, is Rare done with Donkey Kong? Have have they done their time with Donkey Kong and now they're moving on to their own creations? Are are they like, yeah, we we've set our piece with Donkey Kong. Now we want to create our own characters like Banjo, Kazooie, Conker, and Barry the Girl Squirrel, spelled with a Y. <laughs> August 1997 didn't bring any more good news for me because in Nintendo Power's 
Packwatch, uh, the inside source of future games, they called it. They, uh, they, they covered more of the games from E3 in Atlanta, and they led with both Conker's Quest and Banjo-Kazooie. And I think we should do switchies here, Dustin. We should do the old switcheroo. I should read the Conquer article, and you should read the Banjo-Kazooie article. We're just a couple of swingers tonight. <laughs> it's a regular old key party. <laughs> now I'm going to have my turn with the squirrel. <laughs> Perfect. I'll take, I'll take this big bear character. <laughs> You'll take the big bear. Uh... Conquer the Squirrel and his friend Barry the Chipmunk. They've corrected it here. Barry is spelled with an I, and she is properly identified as a chipmunk. May seem oh, like good. cuddly forest refugees from a Disney movie, but in reality, they are high-tech pioneers exploring new territories of gameplay. As both developer and publisher for this exclusive N64 game, Rare dons a new hat as well. But our focus is on the revolutionary qualities of Conqueror's Quest. The most remarkable thing is that the two heroes of this game respond to their surroundings like real people. Wow. Instead of behaving like automatons, which is what you <laughs> get with most video game characters, Conquer. Conker and Barry express emotions, curiosity, anger, happiness. They'll also point out things that you should notice, such as items or baddies. The second most remarkable thing about this game may be the sound. Rare incorporated surround sound so that players can hear the direction of an approaching enemy or a distant waterfall. The background music ranges from a sing-song Disney-esque melody in the fields where you begin the game to a more haunting theme when you enter the dark, dangerous forest. In both Conker's Quest and Banjo-Kazooie, the music shifts to reflect the state of current events. For instance, if you were suddenly threatened, you might hear a new bass part begin. You've got to hear it to believe it. Seeing is also <laughs> believing. Conker's Quest may be the 3D, 64-bit equivalent of Donkey Kong Country's ACM graphics. As for the gameplay, Conker and Barry's Quest includes recovering more than 100 presents that have been stolen by a notorious gang of woodland hoodlums. There are four worlds, seven, seven different vehicles in which Conker and Barry can ride. What is this, nuts and bolts? And numerous items, <laughs> puzzles, mazes, and the like. And the like. <laughs> Movement and camera controls are based on the Super Mario 64 model. Play control was very smooth in the early E3 demo. Initially, Conker's Quest may seem a bit young, but when Rare stakes its name and reputation on a game, we tend to think that it'll turn out to be an experience that will appeal to gamers of all ages and abilities. Oh, if only they knew. Proof of that <laughs> will come in December when Rare hopes to launch this brave new squirrel. Uh, we all hope. Oh my god. And and, and this, we, we have a, a screenshot of Conker walking on a 
Is that like a cobblestone bridge? Uh, and there's Conker and a little little well or fountain or something. There's Conker and his stupid little sheriff's hat. And, and there's Conker. <laughs> he he's got a, a a miner's hat on, and he he's in a he's in a, a cave of some sort. That hat would carry over to Bad Fur Day, though, in the in Clang's Cavern. I when I was a kid, I mistook this because the hat didn't read as a miner's hat. It looked like he was wearing a turban with a flashlight <laughs> attached to it, which I realize now as an adult would be highly offensive for Conquer just to don a turban and a, a turban that has a flashlight in it. But you know, at the time. I didn't think anything of it. I was like, oh, he's, he's got a illuminated turban. Okay. Conquer would never do anything offensive. <laughs> so, wow, they really sold Conquer's Quest here. Oh, my God. It's the most revolutionary game of all time. The, the 64-bit equivalent to Donkey Kong Country. Yeah, you're not even going to need to play another video game after this one. This is it. It may seem a bit young, but don't worry. Conquer fucks. <laughs> Finally, I won't be embarrassed to play this in front of my other elementary school peers. <laughs> It'll put hair on your chest for sure. <laughs> All right, Dustin, do you want to read the Banjo-Kazooie article? And I apologize because they used the worst background for a white font that I've ever seen in a magazine article yeah uh, i i was gonna say i would love to read it but i apologize if uh if, if it's a struggle um <laughs> due to this white font white font on a sky blue gradient like like it, it's 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 a nightmare <laughs> a match made in hell all right <laughs> let's let's read this banjo kazooie as a Nintendo Power Reader, you were among the first gamers in the world to see Banjo-Kazooie unveiled in last month's E3 preview. That first look came from videotape and still images sent to us from Rare in the UK, but now we've had a chance to meet Banjo and Kazooie in person. Whoa! <laughs> and we've even begun exploring their wonderful world. The first thing you have to know about this game is that it behaves a lot like Super Mario 64. Uh, play takes place in a third person, behind the character perspective with shiftable camera angles. Well, I'm sold already. Your goal is to collect puzzle pieces and save Banjo's sweetheart, Piccolo. Hmm. <laughs> Other items... <laughs> Other items you can collect let you perform different moves. For instance, Kazooie's flight is limited by the number of feathers you've collected. For each feather, you get a certain number of flaps. So t to reach the roof of a tall <laughs> tower from the sailing ship, you may need to collect a dozen feathers. The unlikely pair of heroes, a honey bear and a red-crusted breagle, Team up to perform 24 separate moves, with either Banjo or Kazooie taking the lead. Since Kazooie lives in Banjo's backpack, the two are always connected, unlike the duo heroes of the Donkey Kong Country games. Ouch. 
<laughs> wow. And in case you think these two seem a little too cute, consider their moves, which include some serious flying, swimming, I you're say, climbing. Which include which includes some serious fucking <laughs> <laughs> Their classic move, the Banjo and Kazooie Fuckfest move. <laughs> serious flying, swimming, climbing, running, jumping, smashing. And nosediving. And that's just before breakfast. <laughs> wow, all that before breakfast? I can hardly wait to see what comes after. Kazooie can even throw her eggs at a sort of messy attack. As, as a sort of messy attack. The variety of gameplay includes the bear-slash-bird duo transforming into other creatures, such as a termite that can walk straight up walls and pass through small openings. That feat is the result of a spell from Mumbo Jumbo, a shaman who appears periodically in the game to help the pair. Banjo-Kazooie will have 16 sprawling 3D worlds, which you'll be able to access after collecting puzzle pieces. As in Turok the Dinosaur Hunter, you don't have to follow a linear sequence through oh, the game. Oh, I've always and, said that. Yeah, if you like Turok Dinosaur Hunter, you're going to love Banjo-Kazooie. And you can return to earlier worlds to look for missed items. Those worlds include Mumbo's Mountain, Hammerhead Beach, Bubble Gloop Swamp, Fungus Forest, and Mount Fire Eyes. Along with Conker's Quest, Conker's spelt incorrectly, <laughs> also from Rare, <laughs> Banjo-Kazooie has the best graphics ever seen in a 3D video game. Ever, and ever, enough... ever. <laughs> it don't get better than this. And enough action and exploration to wear out a Tigger. What? <laughs> man tigger from winnie the pooh over here is saying nope that is too much for me i can't deal with this it should be the most it should be the must play game of the fall when it is released this november wow all right well most of that was accurate up to a certain point <laughs> <laughs> boy in that last paragraph they really just went off the rails they were like, it was the only bear they could think of, Winnie the Pooh. And so they were like, oh, we're going to throw in a Tigger reference. <laughs> yeah, they'll get it. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so, I mean, at least this properly explained Mumbo Jumbo and transforming into animals gave some context for what the termite was. Uh, and we see a, a terrifying screenshot of Mumbo Jumbo here when, when he's like... <laughs> He looks even more frightening than he does in the final game. Yeah, I I kind of like these old models because of that, but uh, I yeah. I can understand why they didn't go with it. So, Dustin, uh, eventually, I accepted that Banjo Kazooie and Conqueror's Quest were coming out in November and December of that year, and that. Aside from Donkey Kong Land 3, I would not be getting any Donkey Kong game that autumn, which would be a first, which would be a first since 1994. I had three straight years where Donkey Kong Country was a major gift. I got Donkey Kong Country Christmas morning, 1994. I got Donkey Kong Country 2 and 3 
for my November 22nd birthdays. And uh, I was like, well, guess I'm not going to... I I guess I could ask for Banjo-Kazooie, because I already had an N64, because <laughs> I had to get an N64, because Rare's Donkey Kong appeared in Mario Kart 64. So I already had an N64. I was like, I guess I could ask for Banjo-Kazooie. I, I'm just not that enthused about this. But... Right. But... My fervent navel-gazing of Banjo-Kazooie and Conquer in these magazines during family vacations that summer put an idea in my head that I couldn't quite shake. And it was mostly wishful thinking. It, it, it was wishful, wistful, hoping against hope. But I kept looking at Banjo's render which was prominently displayed in these magazines, and I kept thinking how much it reminded me of the Brothers Bear. Keep in mind that in mid-1997, the Brothers Bear still loomed incredibly large over a Donkey Kong fan's psyche. <laughs> I, I mean, I know we at DK Vine always celebrate and revere the Brothers Bear, but Back then, the Brothers Bear were contemporary. They were hip. <laughs> Everybody was talking about the Brothers Bear. You couldn't take two steps without seeing them on a t-shirt. It was that and Bill Clinton's infidelities. We, we were all just talking <laughs> about, about White House blowjobs and uh, Blunder Bear. What a pair. And so I was, I was like... It's weird that Rare would use a bear as their new game when they when they made such a big deal out of bears in Donkey Kong Country 3. I didn't know how any of this worked. I, di- I didn't know that Banjo-Kazooie was being done by the OG Donkey Kong Country team. I don't even think I, re- I was really cognizant of the fact that Donkey Kong Country 3 had a mostly different team. It was like the understudies that like graduated to... like prime time right like i i i looked at the credits i like absorbed some of the names from the credits but i i didn't know that greg males and chris sutherland's steve males had moved on you know and i I certainly didn't know they were behind banjo kazooie so i kept thinking i wonder if there's a connection here I, I didn't know if they were going to reveal that Banjo was the 14th Brother Bear sibling or some sort of distant relation, maybe a cousin. And we'd get a scene in Banjo-Kazooie early on where he phones his cousin Bramble or something. <laughs> <laughs> you know, let's get, you know, we need to sell this to the kids, so we got to get Bramble Bear in there. <laughs> I mean, you want this game to sell, don't you? So, I mean, I I had unrealistic expectations, even then, of, of, you know, fanciful ways of thinking. Like, well, well, maybe a brother bear will be in this. But I kept looking at the renders, and then I eventually realized, well, Banjo's hands are actually a bit different from the brother's bear models. Because Banjo has four fingers on each hand, and no fur on his palms. While the brother's bear had five claws and very furry palms. And so I would get discouraged then. That that, that would kind of splash cold water on my hopes. If they wanted them to be connected, they wouldn't have made that blunder. 
I don't mean the <laughs> bear. I mean visual difference. Whoa. But I still, like, entertain the possibility that maybe, like, it, it looked like it could fit maybe within Donkey Kong's world. You know, Banjo did look visually reminiscent of a Donkey Kong Country character, and Kazooie didn't look completely out of place. I mean, she looked like maybe a more exaggerated version of any of the birds we had seen in the Donkey Kong Country series. So, there, there was that hope. I also sort of thought that maybe Conker might have some sort of connection to Donkey Kong. But I, I was more dismissive of that one because of the possibility that, like, Rare would have to get Nintendo's permission for that one because they were making a big deal that Conquer was being published by Rare. It was their first self-published game. And I thought there couldn't be any mixing of intellectual properties then. Oh, well, well Conquer's just got to be in its own sort of isolated bubble. Uh, so Banjo-Kazooie was the better bet. I was like, if if any of these two are going to be connected to Donkey Kong, it's Banjo-Kazooie. Conquer was this kind of outside extreme possibility, but Banjo-Kazooie is where I was placing all of my hopes. On these long summer car rides, I was in the backseat studying each grainy screenshot religiously, trying to, like, squint. Like, maybe if I look really hard, I'll see Rambi in the background, I don't. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Maybe this has some sort of tie to Donkey Kong, and this is before like I even thought of the DKU, right? Like this is this is before I thought that there could be a shared universe of rare games. I I was just hoping that they, you know, the fact that Banjo was a bear, what was the this niggling little point, this this like little irritant in my brain that I couldn't shake, like an itch that I couldn't scratch. Until it stopped itching, it bugged me, Dustin. There, there was just something. Oh, no. There was something that was telling me Banjo Kazooie is going to tie to Donkey Kong somehow. I just don't know why. And it, it, it. Little did you know that there was something on the horizon. Well, so the reason I wanted to do this episode now. It's because the end of August saw the delay of Banjo-Kazooie. They finally came came out, came clean, and said, Hey, uh, it turns out, actually, uh, Banjo-Kazooie, not so much, 97. <laughs> so, I actually have a contemporary news article here that I will read to you. Uh, oh, wow. th- this, this is from, uh, I think, August 27th, 1997. Wow. So This is, uh, a, this is a, a snapshot of a moment in time. Yeah, yeah. Product delays by game developers will push back the release of several major new video games by Nintendo of America Incorporated to early next year. Too late for the crucial Christmas rush. <laughs> Get wrecked, Nintendo. (laughs) This announcement is about quality, Chairman Howard Lincoln said at a briefing Wednesday at his company's headquarters here. Here being read, this is is an article from Redmond, Washington. One of the new releases, Banjo-Kazooie, an adventure game featuring a bear and a rooster. Of course was to be the focus of a $10 million Taco Bell promotion. But 
In the last 30 days, it became increasingly apparent that we can't get it on shelves by November 24th and not compromise quality, Lincoln said. Well, that's why they called him Honest Abe. <laughs> so what Howard Lincoln was not saying here was their backup plan. And I, I think it was around this time that Nintendo's website revealed it. It wouldn't be revealed for the, us stuck in print media until the turn of September into October with Nintendo Power Volume 101, which, of course, we all know to be the cover story of Extreme G, that classic beloved N64 racing game. I laugh, but I actually think I own Extreme G. Uh, it, was, it, was a, it was a cute little third-party game. It was, it, was a little, it was darling. It was it was basically like <laughs> it's basically like F Zero, but not F Zero. It was a knockoff of F Zero with like automated bikes instead of hover cars. Anyway, boy, yeah, I I've never heard of this game in my life. Well, Dustin, sometime we'll have to dust off the old N sixty four and give it a whirl for for the Extreme G podcast on your other site. <laughs> I don't mean, would we call it Extreme Gab? That's that would be the name of that. <laughs> wow, you just came up with that off the top of your head. Perfect. No, no Dustin, I've been thinking about it for twenty five years. <laughs> and that's what you came up with, huh? <laughs> so at the very top of this magazine is this little little it looks like a little torn piece of a checkered flag that's soaked in blood. And it says <laughs> Hot Shots, introducing Diddy Kong Racing. So, the way this worked when I was uh, a lad in junior high slash middle school is uh, I didn't want to ride the bus because the bus was a creepy place. The school bus was uh, a, a place of venereal diseases and hypodermic needles. You don't, You didn't want to ride it, so... Uh, basically what happened was my friend Elliot, who I, I've talked about, my childhood friend Elliot, who I shared much in the way of the early DKU with, uh, his, his mom would pick me up along with Elliot and, uh, I would chill out at his house for like an hour or so until my mom picked me up and then I would go home. Well, Elliot and I were both subscribers to Nintendo Power and so on the days when Nintendo Power would arrive and, and, uh, his mom would pick me up. It would be his copy of Nintendo Power if he would get it first before me, and we would thumb through it. And uh, so we well, we looked at the Extreme G cover, and I was like, eh, Extreme G, can't wait to do a podcast about that. And <laughs> we, we pulled into his driveway. He had a long driveway. And uh, I, I, I remember, I distinctly remember, because this is like the defining day of my life. This is the day... It would all change for me. And I remember looking at the cover. I think he was like starting to get out and I had the magazine in my hand and I, I saw introducing Diddy Kong Racing on the top and and like time froze. I I, I could see like every molecule in my body. Like it, it was just this, this amazing crystallizing moment. And I was like, Diddy Kong Racing. The hell is the, what's, the, what's Diddy Kong racing? I know that guy. So we ran inside and we 
read the reveal of Diddy Kong Racing. And it was really sneaky the way Nintendo Power did this. They tried to be sneaky sneaks with this news. They announced Diddy Kong Racing. And then after that, they quietly revealed that Banjo-Kazooie was delayed until March 1998, according to them. But um, uh, they, they were, it was all about selling Diddy Kong Racing at the last minute as the big holiday game you're going to want. And, and this, this is kind of where the story ends, but I feel like we should also read this article to kind of put a capper on it. The, the, where, where this angst of Banjo-Kazooie and Conqueror's Quest being adversarial to the DKU to then being hopeful that they would somehow tie into Donkey Kong to the actual birth of the DKU and to Banjo-Kazooie and Conquer both being reworked as a sort of follow-ups to Diddy Kong Racing. Diddy Kong Racing being the backdoor pilot to both. So, uh, I- I'm going to read this, alright? Alright, I'd love to hear it. So, in Watch in the October issue of Nintendo Power, Volume 101, it said, Big changes are in the air this fall. A new marquee game appears suddenly from Rare. Hudson Soft teams up with Nintendo and Mindscape to bring in 64 titles to North America, and Kirby returns to the Super NES. We're not going to focus on those other two things. We're going to talk about this new marquee game that appeared suddenly from Rare. Diddy Kong Racing. The first thing you need to know about Diddy Kong Racing, Dustin, from Rare... (laughs) is that it isn't Mario Kart 64 Part 2. Yes, it has funky little carts. But there are planes and hovercraft too. Not to mention bosses, special areas, bonus challenges, and hidden items. And yes, there are bananas, but you don't drop them in front of enemies. Thank God. The truth of the matter is that Diddy Kong Racing is a completely and wonderfully new beast. And it's now... Heading the Nintendo 64 roster for this fall, replacing Banjo-Kazooie as the hottest title due to be released before the end of the year. And in parentheses it says, Banjo-Kazooie will now make its debut in March 1998. Not quite, but getting closer. So what makes DKR so special? As strange as it may sound, Diddy Kong Racing is a racing game that isn't about racing. Confused? (laughs) Imagine the castle in Super Mario 64. Open the doors and the stars you need to win before you can explore new areas. Now imagine that instead of running and jumping, Mario is racing around each area in a vehicle, collecting gold balloons instead of stars. So, I am a little confused because it's... If, if I remember correctly from a few seconds ago, they said Diddy Kong Racing is a racing game that isn't about racing, and now they're saying that it is about racing. But but it, but but it but it's a racing game that's not about racing. It's about racing, which isn't about racing. I don't know why you're so confused. Though. Keep up. You're right. I really should have studied before this. Those balloons, Dustin, will allow you to enter other areas and meet new challenges. Imagine that you actually race through the different worlds while you're exploring them, so that not only do you have to find silver coins and hidden keys, you have to do it all while beating a bunch of other racers to the finish line. 
And on top of all of that, you have all sorts of items to pick up. Items such as homing missiles, oil slicks, electrical shields, and of course, bananas. In parentheses, you collect bananas to add to your top speed. Oh. The, ga- the game has 20 main tracks, 8 main characters, 3 types of vehicles, a huge outer world where you can explore to your heart's content, and discover extra gold balloons, bosses, an Indian elephant genie named Tosh. That's Diddy Kong <laughs> Racing in a nutshell. Let's look under the skin. Rare is introducing a new proprietary graphics technology in this game, which is called Real-Time Dynamic Animation. One of the more spectacular results of this technology is the use of skinning. (laughs) Skinning is a technique. Sounds terrifying. Is a technique. (laughs) I don't want to know about the technique. (laughs) See, I think I've seen fan art of this. Skinning is a technique that takes a texture map and wraps it completely around a polygonal figure, like a character or machine. The resulting figure is much smoother and rounder than traditional polygon characters that have texture maps painted on each flat surface. But enough of the shop talk. The graphics in DKR would simply blow your mind if you weren't so wrapped up in the gameplay. Oh, <laughs> uh, when your dedicated pack watch reporter sat down with DKR for the first time, he didn't look up from the screen or take his hands off the controller for two straight hours. He missed lunch. He ignored his friends. He was hooked in a way he had never been hooked by a game before. And since wow. he has played and reviewed literally thousands of games over the years, That's saying something. But enough gushing. I think I've seen fan art of that too. Look (laughs) at the screenshots. Picture the action as you fly through tunnels, bounce over waves, or squeal around corners in search of an elusive dinosaur key. The control is smoother and more intuitive than Mario Kart 64. It combines all the best elements of Super Mario 64... Pilot Wing 64, Wave Race 64, and Mario Kart 64. Then, then somehow takes them all to a new level. This is not Mario Kart 64 with a rare twist. Diddy Kong Racing, it's 128 megabits, rumble pack and controller pack compatible, and it stands apart from every other game. The multiplayer modes are more varied than Star Fox 64 and GoldenEye. All right, now calm down. It may well (laughs) be the best game Rare has ever made, and quite possibly the best game ever made for the N64. Publisher Rare, developer Rare, memory size 128 megabits, compatibility rumble pack and controller pack, tracks more than 20, Oh my god. It's like Jesus himself is reincarnated as a kart racer. <laughs> it's everything you could ever hope for. They sure had a way of selling these games uh, yeah. in these articles. Like, like, even in the Conquer and Banjo ones, they're like, this is the best game ever made. You'll have more friends having played it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, Nintendo Power was obviously 
a propaganda magazine first and foremost. Uh, and, and I say this as somebody who considers Diddy Kong Racing one of his absolute favorite games. I adore everything about it. Even, even I'm like, okay, that hype is a bit much. <laughs> Not quite so much there, fella. But, but all right. But at the time, Dustin, I, 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 so, so I, I read up to the point where it said Banjo-Kazooie had been delayed till March and that Diddy Kong Racing was the new holiday game. And I was like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, I'm getting a new Donkey Kong-related game in like a month and a half. And I, my, my eyes, like, were darting around. Like, I couldn't focus on the article at the time. I, I was in Elliot's bedroom, uh, sitting on his bed. I, I, I like, he, he, he was excited about this, but obviously I was more fanatical about all of this at the time. Like, we were already, like, drifting apart where I was becoming the zealot. And he was like, but I also like Turok Dinosaur Hunter. <laughs> And uh, I, I saw the player select screen, and I saw, because I had studied the render of Banjo for months at that point, because, because they got a really bad screenshot, because it's one where Banjo's eyes are closed. He's in mid-blink. That's the screenshot they used. But I recognized <laughs> those yellow shorts, and I recognized the lack of fur on his palms. I recognized it to be Banjo on the player select screen. And then my eyes darted down and I saw Conker there. And, uh, dude. <laughs> dude. Okay, so this is the point where my world exploded. Um, I, I... I, I basically screamed at Elliot and I said, Banjo and Conker are making their first appearance in Diddy Kong Racing. Do you know what that means? <laughs> and I think we all know what that means if you're a listener of the conversation or you've read DK Vine for even a scanty few days. You will know what that meant. But everything changed at that point and the long struggle... The long mental anguish of trying to accept Banjo-Kazooie and Conker's quest in the summer of 97 came to an end in the happiest ending possible, right? Like, lessons learned from all of this. Because I feel like these, these are important lessons that everybody who is particularly fanatical about a series should take to heart. You, you need to put your trust in in the fan in your fandom with the studio and the creators over the IP itself because yes th this worked out for me and it wor worked out for DK Vine what would become DK Vine but mm. yeah I I, I I I look at like contemporary rare or platonic and I, and I see like people they, they want very specific things and they're not willing to give other things a chance and I'm just like you know, but but Greg Mails also worked on Sea of Thieves, and and you know, did you want to try out Sea of Thieves? It's not necessarily the characters; it's the creators. And of course, it was hard to know who the creators were in 1997. This was much easier uh, just a year later, mid 1998, with the advent of Rareware the rare website run by Lee Loveday, because then you really started to get a sense of who the creators were beyond just the end game credits. I, th I think Rareware, Rareware, 
really started to make me familiar with certain individuals like Greg Mails. And then I, I could then say like, oh, Greg Mails is doing this. Oh my, that's exciting. But you didn't really have that in 1997. Rare was still very secretive. I think Rare, where the website really opened the doors to that. So it was harder to do. But it, it taught me not to be quite so entitled. Because up until this point, I did have a very adversarial relationship with rare properties that weren't Donkey Kong. Um, you, you said if they weren't Donkey Kong, I don't give a shit. I remember, like, I, I rented Killer Instinct. I even owned it at a certain point. But I remember feeling like Killer Instinct was a threat to Donkey Kong. Because <laughs> Nintendo Power would go on about Killer Instinct. And, of course, Killer Instinct was obviously marketed towards an older audience. And so it was like, oh, you sent me to age out of Donkey Kong and then go to Killer Instinct when I'm a teenager? I'm going to be Donkey Kong till I die, Nintendo Power. You're not going to change me, old man. <laughs> I don't play by your rules. And, then of course, you still had a little bit of that when, when DK Vine started up because the biggest Rare fan site when DK Vine launched was RareNet. And RareNet was more about the shooters, GoldenEye and Perfect Dark. They they still covered the platformers, the, the, the DKU titles, but they clearly weren't as enthusiastic about them as we were. So th- there was that little bit of like, well... RareNet is just gun-toting RetroNet, because they also liked Rare's, like, early games. They, they seem to really like Rare's early games and Rare's FPS games, and, uh... They, they weren't quite so into the cutesy cartoon fare like Donkey Kong and Banjo. And which, I don't know why they thought Banjo-Kazooie was so cutesy. Did they not hear all of the moves Banjo-Kazooie could do before breakfast? Seriously, did they not know you can fly around a tower? <laughs> what more do you want? Yeah. All of that, I think, really like melted away with the buyout, which we'll be talking about uh, just later this season, the 20th anniversary of the buyout. But Ooh. It, it took about five years to get there for Rare fans to really, I think, circle the wagons and sort of look out for each other. Um, and I mean, you still have some sort of territorial disputes. You have the hardcore Banjo fanatics who really don't give a damn about Sea of Thieves or Everwild or, you know, anything that's not Banjo. But I think by and large, I, I look at all of like the, uh, the, the fellowship of rare fan sites with DK Vine, like Rare Gamer, um, Rare Thief, you know. Golden Sands blog post, even though that's that's Jeff and Dre, and that's basically just DK Vine. It just it's just a just an appendage <laughs> that was lopped off. Uh, but you know, we're we're all just you know friends, and we're all supportive of Rare, and we're all fans of Rare. No matter where our favorite series might might lie, we like Rare, and uh, it just, it's just funny that you know I, I'm known as you know one of the big Banjo Kazooie and Conquer guys out there and uh when they were announced i hated it <laughs> you know i it, it's what like the hell is a squirrel it's like i, I didn't didn't want to eat my vegetables i didn't know they were good for me and now i love broccoli dustin you like broccoli i like it enough i don't eat it as much as i used to because i don't live with my parents and i yeah. am and i'm lazy 
but, and, I don't and like you never cooking. think to you never think to buy broccoli. But I have to tell you, when I see broccoli out in the wild, when I see, when I see broccoli on the street, I'm reaching down for that broccoli <laughs> because I'm like, wow, broccoli. Yeah, I pick it up just like Banjo and Kazooie pick up uh, puzzle pieces, as said in the former Nintendo Power article. If I were, if you were in a video game, if you were a collectathon man, you would be collecting broccoli everywhere you went. <laughs> what do you think, Dustin? Like, because because you 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 were you were you were outside of all of this. You didn't come into mm-hmm. the fold until after this. Very temporary drama. Is it weird? Um, is it weird for you to to hear this this time when Donkey Kong fandom might have been apprehensive about Banjo and Conker? I mean, it's weird to think about nowadays, just because of um, how tightly knit these uh, franchises were. Um, but I, I don't know, looking back, I can see it. Like if they, if Rare is spending all their time making these other things, then they're just, obviously they're not going to have enough time to make a Donkey Kong for us. Like, I I don't know about you, Heil. It it sounds like you were a little more savvy to the way things worked at the time, but to me, (laughs) it never, it never would have even occurred to me that there were like multiple teams working on multiple projects I just thought, all right, they made this one, then they moved on to this next one. Um, so yeah, I, I guess being a stupid little kid at the time, I could see wow. being so upset about something like that. All right, you need to be nicer to little Dustin because I don't, I don't like all this <laughs> hostility that you're directing back in time towards yourself. No, I mean, little me didn't know no better. Like it's not his fault that. <laughs> Little kids just don't know like, anything about this stuff. I don't think I had any conception about, like, rare teams and barns or any of that. But, like, I knew clearly Rare was capable of juggling, juggling multiple titles at the same time. So I, I must have thought in some level, well, they've got different people working on different games. But I didn't know how much back and forth they bounced. Obviously, on Donkey Kong 64, eventually it was all hands on deck to get that game done. So you have a little bit of... Greg Mail's in there. You have a little bit of Chris Seaver in there. Kind of, kind of reunited Banjo and Conker and Donkey Kong teams all, all under one roof in the mad dash to get it out the door by November. But let me see. The lessons learned and all of that. I, I have to wonder, thinking about where my mind was in in June, July, and August. And I guess September, because I, I didn't know until uh, late September, early October about Banjo-Kazooie's delay in Diddy Kong Racing. Like, knowing where my brain was and imagining this hypothetical reality where Banjo-Kazooie and Conqueror's Quest had come out in November and December 1997, as promised... And Pro-Am 64, or maybe it would have even become Diddy Kong Racing still. What what if that had come out in 1998? What would DK Vine look like? What would the concept of the DKU look like if these E3 uh, forecasts had actually panned out? Would we still exist? Would there still be this notion of a DKU? Would we be talking about Banjo Kazooie and Conquer on DK Vine, or or Ooh. 
I, I have to wonder. It's really hard to say. Would we view BK and Conquer as sort of these uh, Donkey Kong adjacent properties the way we do rare titles that aren't DKU, where we have this like warmth and uh, uh, appreciation for them without you know actually embracing them as part of the DKU? Or would we claim that the naughty that appears in Click Clock Wood is actually very or really naughty and use that as the basis that Banjo-Kazooie is still related to Donkey Kong, might maybe even going as far to say it's a spinoff. What do you, what do you think, Kyle? Let me know what you think, because I do have some thoughts. Oh, uh, I, I'm glad you have thoughts. I, I thought you were going to be like, no, I have no opinion on this, Kyle. <laughs> I could not care less about this <laughs> hypothetical. No, because I, I know you love Banjo-Kazooie. I know you love Conker. I know you love Donkey Kong. So I know this stuff matters to you. We, we, we laugh and we joke about it, uh, which is why I invited you on here. I wouldn't have invited somebody who I would think would spit on my life's work. But, <laughs> I mean, we, we also have to keep in mind if Banjo-Kazooie had made it out in November 97, would we have still had early elements that maybe were excised by the time it came out in late June of 98. Because there's the possibility that Donkey Kong himself might have appeared in Banjo-Kazooie because it's been surmised that he was originally going to host the bonus puzzle game in Banjo's house. See the stop and swap episodes I've done with Steve from off of Rare Gamer for that speculation that train of thought but there's this whole notion that donkey kong was going to talk to you through a donkey kong portrait and not bottles and that line that kazooie has where she calls bottles barrel boy is actually a leftover artifact from when she was talking to donkey kong i suppose bottles is barrel shaped in a very abstract way but barrel boy is the kind of insult she would have lined up and ready to go if she was talking to donkey kong so right and it's hard to say for Conquer. It's, it's, it's more hard to say for Conquer because we have no conception, we have no notion of what a finished Conquer's Quest would even really look like. Because, you know, Bad Fur Day is what we got after Chris Seaver really took over the project and made it his own. He steered it in another direction entirely. And just like Donkey Kong 64 isn't the original Donkey Kong game we were going to get for the N64, that that's what we got after George Andreas took over the project and, and kind of made it his own. So I think, that, you know, there would be similarities, certainly, but there would be vast differences beyond just the, the rating and the tone. Because, you know, maybe it would have been Conker that would have really embraced the notion of a shared universe. I think Banjo-Kazooie as a series has really embraced it in a low-key way uh, out of the two. Uh, because, there, you know, every Banjo game, aside from... I mean, e- even even Grunny's Revenge, sort of, but every Banjo game has made a reference to Donkey Kong or Diddy Kong Racing since, uh, since the original Banjo-Kazooie. Uh, Grunny's Revenge has the tip-top suite, so I guess you could grandfather that in as a Diddy Kong Racing <laughs> reference. But, um, you know, Conquer, Conquer's Bad Fur Day really, you know, gets gets away from that. It's its own thing. And I know Chris Seaver is kind of adamant that not only is Conquer in his own universe, but everything prior to Bad Fur Day isn't canon. 
uh, that's not Rare's opinion. That's just Chris Siever's opinion. I respect Chris Siever's opinion, but uh, sorry, Chris Siever. <laughs> <laughs> you can believe what you want, Chris Siever, but uh, sorry, Diddy Kong Racing and Pocket Tales definitely happened. Um, but um, you know, maybe, maybe you know, with with other people at the helm, Conquer's Quest slash Twelve Tales Conquer sixty four would have embrace this notion of a shared universe i mean pocket tales we saw a little bit of it we had donkey kong baddies and pocket tales so maybe conquer would have had deeper ties and been the one that really you know said hey no donkey kong exists yeah here's here's a character although it's hard to say considering it is a rare published game but obviously that didn't really matter with diddy kong racing so i don't know um what what do you think, Dustin? Well, in this hypothetical uh, s- different DKU timeline, um, I I would like to think that it would play out maybe not exactly the same, but pretty similarly. I have a feeling, uh, you know, the interest in DKC was there. I I can't speak for uh, Little Heil and Chad, but. Uh, I I kind of feel like maybe you guys would try to latch onto those smaller things like the Naughty and Banjo. Um, yeah. And like you said, they could have still had the Donkey Kong portrait in Banjo. Mm-hmm. So I feel like um, it's possible that the DKU would still exist, but maybe the rules would be a little different. So the way the rules have it now is... A character has to make their debut in a DKU game, in a DKU-related uh, game for it to count. So, like, uh, Banjo and & Conquer and Diddy Kong Racing, that thereby makes any games featuring those characters uh, part of the DKU. But part of me wonders if, uh, since that didn't happen, but if Diddy Kong Racing came out, then they would still be in the same universe. I wonder if things would just be a little more uh, lax in that area of things. Like this, this is something I was actually thinking about the other day, how um, in the video game, Viva Pinata, they straight up say that Kazooie came to Pinata Island. So they're obviously in the same world. But that's not the way the rules of the DKU work. So I wonder if uh, that would be how the rules of the DKU worked if this is how it played out. Since you can't say that they had their debut in a Donkey Kong game, so they can't be spinoffs of Donkey Kong. But Banjo and Conker are still in Diddy Kong Racing, so they would still... I assume, like, all the promotional material would still be like, oh, Conker is Diddy Kong's friend, and they went on adventures, and it was a great time. So (laughs) the seeds for a shared universe would still be there, regardless of them debuting in a Donkey Kong game. So those are my thoughts. I just feel like maybe the rules would be a little more forgiving on that front. So, Dustin, what you're saying, ultimately, is that instead of Diddy Kong Racing being this godsend that gifted this amazing shared universe to me and to thousands, millions of other people around the world, what you're saying is 
Diddy Kong Racing set expectations too high made me a rigid, unflinching asshole and basically ruined all the fun that we could have had had it not locked me in my ways from the outset. You said scuttlebutt a lot in this episode. This has been a File 2 production. Hey, Rico.